0: Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13 as we uh, seek to tackle and to treasure 10 timeless truths. If you've been with us, we began a few weeks ago looking at Hebrews 13, verse number one, and there we learned that we need to respond with love to the needs of others. That was verses one to three. Verse number four, we need to reaffirm your loyalty to marriage. That was the second truth you needed to tackle and to treasure. Number three was to resist the love of money. That's verses five and six. Verse number seven, you need to remember your leaders and follow their example. Um, Number five is found in verse number eight, and that is to relish the unchangeable character of our great God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then number six was last week, and that was refuse to listen to wrong teaching. Today is is number seven, and that is you need to realize the importance of separation from the world. Realize the importance of separation from the world, and that's in verses 10 to 14. Let me read them to you. It says, verse number 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Now you read that and you think, what on earth is he trying to say? How do you get the principle, realize the importance of separation from the world out of those four verses? Well, remember, we're not Jewish. If we were, we'd really have no problem understanding what he's saying. But because we're not, we need to kind of come to grips with what he's trying to get across to this Hebrew audience. What is he saying? Well, one of the keys is the phrase, outside the camp, verse 11, verse 12, outside the gate, verse number 13, outside the camp. So whatever is on the outside is different from what's on the inside. And so there's a separation there. And what is that separation? What does he want us to understand? When you think about it and you understand Jewish history, it's not that difficult. The problem is, if you read different commentators on this, you'll get a variety of different interpretations of it. I'm not going to go through all those with you this morning. We wouldn't have enough time to do that. But let me just give you what I believe the the writer is trying to say. He gives us an illustration, then he gives us an exhortation, and then he gives us the motivation, okay? So if you can just remember those three points when it comes to realizing our need, the importance of separation from the world, there's an illustration, there's an exhortation, and then there's a motivation. What is the illustration? Well, look at verse 10. We have an altar. Who's we? The Jewish nation. We have an altar. They know of the altar in the temple. They knew of the altar in the the tabernacle. They knew of the altar in the tent of meeting. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Well, who's that? Well, read on. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. So there's an offering which cannot be eaten. And what is the only offering that the priest could not eat? It was the offering offered on the Day of Atonement. The offering which, once the animals were sacrificed, the blood was sprinkled in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat. The carcasses of those animals were taken outside the city, outside the camp, and they were burned. Why? Why is it the high priest could partake of any other offering offered, but on the day of atonement, he couldn't partake of this offering, which was offered. Instead, it had to be taken outside the camp and burned. Because it happened on the day of atonement. The day in which the high priest would go in and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Anticipating their sins in the new year and looking for forgiveness of sins from the previous year. And the reason they took those animals outside the city and to burn them was because it it symbolized a separation, there's our key word, from their sin. In other words, I'm offering a sacrifice on behalf of my family, on behalf of the nation for their sins, and there needs to be a separation of my life from that sin. So there was great shame and great reproach upon those carcasses that were burned because it symbolized me truly repenting of my sin. I want nothing else to do with that sin. I'm going to separate myself from that sin. The blood sacrifice has been offered. My sins have been covered. Therefore, I don't want to go back into that sin. that's why the carcasses were taken outside the city and they were burned. Then he says this. Therefore, verse 12, Jesus also, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Now we know that Jesus suffered outside the gate because outside the Damascus gate is Mount Calvary, the place of the skull where the crucifixion took place. And Christ was crucified outside the gate. But Christ also was rejected. Like the sacrifice, the carcasses that were burned were rejected, so Christ too was rejected by those of the Jewish nation. And he was crucified outside the gate. But the problem is Christ was the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament offering pictured. Christ was the fulfillment because he was the one sacrifice that once offered would not just cover their sins, but remove all their sins. So Christ was the fulfillment of what the Day of Atonement was pointing to. So as they would reject the carcasses and burn the carcasses to separate themselves from their sin, Jesus himself was also crucified outside the gate. That's where he suffered. And he did it bearing the reproach of the people. He did it bearing the sins of the people. But yet they not not only just removed themselves or rejected the carcasses of those that were burned or, or that were sacrificed. They rejected the one fulfillment of what all the Old Testament pointed to. And they wanted nothing to do with him. So he tells them, therefore, Jesus also that he might separate, sanctify, make holy the people through his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. In other words, he's taking them back to the fact that this is a fulfillment of new covenant promise, that everything that the old covenant pointed to, Christ fulfilled it, but yet you rejected him. But then he says this, so let us go out to him outside the gate. The camp. Now, think about this. In the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, 33, Moses moved the tent of meeting from inside the camp to outside the camp. Okay? Israel had committed idolatry, immorality. Israel had said, we will obey all that the law says. But Moses was taking too long to come down from the mountain. And so they, they took their jewelry and they, they made this molten calf, this golden calf, and began to worship the golden calf. And the Lord was incensed with them. And so he took the tent of meeting and moved it outside the camp of Israel. And so if you wanted to approach God, you couldn't approach him inside the camp. You had to approach him outside the camp. And so when Moses would go outside the camp to the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord would come down and the people would go outside their tents and stand and observe, Moses was outside. Moses was separated from those who were inside the camp. And the only way to approach God was to approach him outside the camp, not inside the camp, because inside was a reminder of idolatry and immorality. On the outside is a reminder of holiness and purity. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to these people who know all this. See, they get it. We don't know all this, but they do. They knew what happened on the Day of Atonement. They knew why the carcasses were burned outside the city. They knew they wanted nothing else to do with their sin, although they would commit the same sins again. It was symbolic of separating themselves from their sin. They knew that Christ was crucified outside the gate. They knew that the Jewish people rejected him as their Messiah. Okay? Okay? even though he was the fulfillment, as the writer of Hebrews has said throughout the previous 12 chapters, he was the fulfillment of the new covenant, yet they rejected him as they rejected the carcasses. And they wanted nothing to do with him, but he was the atoning sacrifice for their sins. So now he says, listen, you need to go outside the camp. You need to approach this one Christ. You need to go to him Now, when you think about the context of everything, you realize that, remember last week, he said these these words in verse number nine, he says, do not be carried away by varied and strange doctrines or teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Look, it's not your dietary laws, it's not your ceremonial laws that are going to strengthen you, because he says, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. In other words, they don't benefit you anymore. When Christ came, the ceremonial laws were done away with. All those rituals were done away with. The only law that stands is the moral law of God. And Christ came to fulfill the law of the prophets. And now, just like those dietary laws don't benefit you, but you need to be strengthened by his grace... So, too, nothing inside the gate, nothing inside the camp is going to benefit you. You have to approach the one outside the camp, the one that was crucified for your sins, the one who bore your reproach in his body, that you might be set free from your sin. You ought to approach him outside the camp. And that's what he's trying to say. It's an illustration. It's an illustration of being separate from the world system, being separated from legalism, being separated from ceremonialism, being separated from your Juda- uh, Judaistic practices and come all the way to Christ to worship him and to adore him. It's all about separation. And then he says this. So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Bearing his reproach. There's something unique about that separation. And that separation causes you to bear the reproach of Christ. Remember Moses? We talked about him months ago. Hebrews 11. It says these words, verse 26, that Moses, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. In other words, to bear the reproach of Christ was a greater treasure than all the treasures in Egypt. Moses recognized that. So here is the rite of Hebrews, going back to that, helping you understand that when you go out to Christ, when you approach him on his terms, his way, his time, the one who bore your sin... Now you're able to go to him, and when you do, you will suffer along with him. Why? Because that's what Christianity is. It's taking up your cross and following Christ. It's bearing the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of anything else. So important to understand. So he gives this exhortation. If you want to approach Christ... You need to separate yourself from the world system. You need to separate yourself from all that's, that's keeping you from being totally committed to your God. Now I thought about that, and I thought to myself, wow, how many times do we let the world take control of our lives? Over the years, I've told you very simply that you can't care about the things of the world. Because once you begin to care for the things of the world, you will soon become companioned with the things of the world. James four four. He who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So many times we are so concerned about the world. We're, we care so much about the things of the world. I'm not talking about the world in terms of its physicality. I'm talking about the world in terms of its, its influence and having an attitude of worldliness. The Bible says that the world's passing away and the lust thereof. He who does the will of God abides forever. Christ said in Second uh, Corinthians 6, come out from uh, among them and be separate. Christ has always called us to separation. He died to sanctify us. He died to separate us from the world system. We are in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Remember Lot's wife? In Luke's gospel, he tells us, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because you see, Lot and his family, they, they, they were, they, they loved Sodom. That's why they were there. And, and the angel said, you got to go because the Lord's going to destroy Sodom. But, but they weren't moving. So the angel had to grab them and remove them from Sodom. Physically remove them from Sodom. And we know from Peter's account that Lot was a righteous man. We would have never known that had Peter not told us that. But he was a righteous man. And God removed him. The angel removed them from Sodom and said to them, Do not look back. Don't look back. Look straight ahead, move on, get out but lot 's wife she couldn 't resist the temptation she couldn't she couldn 't come to grips with the fact that everything that she had in Sodom she would have no more. Her hairdresser, her mall, her shoes, everything that she ever wanted was all in Sodom, and she couldn 't bear the fact that it was all going to be destroyed, and so Even the Lord said, don't look back. Lot's wife, she she just couldn't resist. She turned and looked back with probably a a tinge of of, of pain in her heart and tears in her eyes. That she'd lost everything. She was immediately turned into a pillar of salt. And The Bible says, remember Lot's wife. She cared for the things of the world. And when you care for the things of the world, you soon will be companioned with the things and the people of the world. And if you become companioned with the things of the world, you will become contaminated by the things of the world. You will. James 1, verse number 27. James makes it very clear that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Unstained by the world. But you see, if you care for it, you're going to be companion with it. You're going to become a friend of the world. And if you become companion with the world, You'll be contaminated by the world. If you're contaminated by the world, you'll be conformed to the world. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many people that you know care so much about the things of the world that they dabble in the things of the world and soon they become contaminated by those things because they became a friend of the world and because they were contaminated, all of a sudden, everything about them becomes conformed to the world. The jokes they tell, the words they use, The way they dress, the places they go, they become so molded into the world's image instead of Christ's image. And those who care for the world and become companioned by the world and become contaminated by the world and conformed to the world are soon controlled by the world. Remember Demas? 2 Timothy 4, verse number 10. He has left me, Paul says. Why? Because of his love for the world. His love for the world. And he was controlled by it. So if that's the case, if you don't become convicted you'll be condemned along with the world. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, 32, Paul says, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord or disciplined by the Lord that we should not be condemned along with the world. But when the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you know we have an altar. You know what took place on that altar on the Day of Atonement. And the priests were not allowed to eat of that offering because that offering was a sin offering. And when that was taken care of and the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, you took that offering, you took that carcass, you took it outside the camp, and you burned it because you wanted nothing to do with it. You wanted to separate yourself from that sin. And likewise, Christ, he was the fulfillment of all that the day of atonement pointed to. But you rejected him as well. And he went out bearing the reproach of the people, bearing the sins of the people, so that so that, you will be separated, sanctified by his blood. For without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So here's your exhortation. You want to approach him? You need to approach him in a way that you are outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In other, other words, outside the world system outside the legalist system, outside all those things that are tempting to control you and contaminate you, that you might be conformed to those things. Remove yourself from those things and go to him. Refuse. Refuse to engage in sinful behavior and realize the importance of separation from the world. For when you do, you'll bear the reproach of Christ. You will. Because, Paul said, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Christ said, if you, they persecuted me, they're, they're going to persecute you. Christ said, take up your cross and, and follow me. Paul said that he wanted to learn the, the fellowship of, of the Lord's sufferings. And the motivation for all this, verse 14, for here... We do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. What's the motivation to, to, to going to Christ? What's the motivation to separate yourself from the world? This world's passing away. But, but you have a city that's an eternal city. In 12, it was, a, it was a kingdom that was an unshakable kingdom, right? Here it's a city, same city that in Hebrews 11, Abraham looked to. That Abraham anticipated whose architect and builder was God himself. What motivated Abraham? That lasting city. What motivated uh, Moses? It tells us. Hebrews 11. He chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. For by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You see, he was able to perceive the invisible because he preferred the imperishable. He preferred the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Therefore, he could endure as seeing him who is unseen the writer of Hebrews comes back to that and says, listen, here's your motivation. This is all passing away. It's all going off the scene. It's not going to last. But if you keep seeking the city which is before you, the unseen city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the opportunity to be in the presence of God forever, ah, that'll keep you, keep you motivated. That's always the motivation in Scripture. Always the motivation. Remember, the clearer you see the future, the cleaner you stand in the present. That was all through the book of Daniel. Right? Daniel saw the future. God gave him visions of the future. You're hard-pressed to find anybody in the Scriptures cleaner than Daniel. But he clearly perceived the future. He could stand clean in the present. It's always the motivation. Keep seeking those things which are above, not below, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Everything is about searching for that which is imperishable, that which is eternal, that which is filled with the glory of the Lord. So, a truth you must tackle and you must treasure, is to realize the importance of separation from the world. That's number seven. Let me give you number eight. Two in one day. (laughs) Hold on there. (laughs) And that is, return all glory and praise to the Lord. Return all glory and praise to the Lord. Verse number 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now listen carefully. If you're a Jew and you're converted to Christianity, one of the questions you're going to ask is, I've been offering sacrifices all my life. What sacrifices now do I offer? He tells them, first of all, you offer the sacrifice of yourself by not associating, associating, associating with the things of the world. And then you, you offer a sacrifice of song, and then you offer a sacrifice of substance. In other words, you offer a sacrifice of your person, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer yourself a sacrifice unto God, right? Well, to do that, you're going to bear the reproach of Christ. To do that, you're going to separate yourself from the world, He goes on to say, and be not conformed, this world will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So there's a sacrifice of person. Then there's a sacrifice of praise. And then there's a sacrifice of your purse, where your money is, where your substance is. See? He's telling them there's still a sacrifice. Everything that Christ did fulfilled Old Testament promise. Everything Christ did, he came to show you that he Fulfilled all of that through his one sacrifice on Calvary's cross. But yet there's still a sacrifice you offer. And the first sacrifice is yourself. You don't want to be conformed to the world. You want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to, you want to separate yourself from the world. The sacrifice of my, myself as unto God. If you don't do that, you won't offer a sacrifice of praise. And you certainly won't offer sacrifice of your purse. You see, people meeting the needs of others is easy when they've already sacrificed themselves. But sacrificing for the needs of others is very difficult if I'm unwilling to sacrifice myself for God's purposes, for God's glory. So you return all glory and praise to the Lord by offering a sacrifice of praise to his name. Some some say, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my situation. You don't know how bad things are for me. No, I don't. But God knows. And you hear people say it all the time, you know, I'm like like Job. I'm going through all this affliction and all this difficulty. And my answer to that is, no, no, you haven't read the book of Job. If you think you're like Job, you haven't read the book. If you read the book, you're going to realize you're nothing like Job. Because Job's the epitome of suffering and affliction beyond anything we can ever imagine. Yet he honored and glorified his God and praised his name. And so we too are to offer a sacrifice of praise. Continually, he says. Perpetually. Repeatedly. Listen, if you are constantly offering a sacrifice of praise, there is no room left for you to grumble. If you're continually offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, there's no room for you to speak bitterness and anger and grumble and murmur and complain because your mouth is filled with praise. And that's a sacrifice. Because if you look at our lives, they're not necessarily characterized by praise. They're characterized by all sorts of things. And yet it's important that we realize that we offer a sacrifice of praise unto God continually, repeatedly, all the time. We should do this on a regular basis. We should praise Him in the midst of your affliction, as bad as it is, you can say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like Job. And I haven't lost everything. I thank you that I'm not like Job, that I can sleep at night. I thank you that I'm, li- I'm not like Job because I, don't, I have the affliction, but I don't have all the loss associated with the affliction. Lord, I thank you that, that I'm not like Job because I don't have friends like Job had. I have good friends. I have a church. I have a support system. People that will pray for me. People that will love on me. People that will bring me meals. Job didn't have that but I thank you, Lord, for what you've done to give praise to his name. And then he talks about offering a substance to people. And Do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God has is pleased. Isn't it great to be able to please the Lord? Don't you want to please him? When you sacrifice your person, your praise, and your purse, He's pleased. Because you're putting him above all else. You're returning glory and praise to his name. And that's what God wants us to do. Isaiah 43, 21. The people I have formed for myself, they will declare my praise. It's not optional. It's going to happen. The people I have formed for myself, they will declare my praise. That's just what they do. That's who they are. They're people of praise. Read the Psalms, right? The Psalms over and over again. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord. It is good to give praise unto the Lord. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord over and over and over and over again. In fact, Psalm 33 says this. Sing for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous ones, for praise is becoming to the upright. It's fitting for the upright. It is beautiful for the upright. What makes the person beautiful? Their praise. You ever been around a complainer? They're not very pretty. You ever been around somebody who's bitter? They're not very beautiful. But you be around somebody who praises the Lord and glorifies His name and lifts His name up on high, that's a beautiful person. You want to be around that person. You want to hang out with that person because they see God in every situation and every circumstance. Praise is befitting. Becoming is beautiful for the upright. As you think about this week and Passion Week and the sacrifice of Christ outside the gate and how he would bear the sins of the people in his body. He did that so that his sacrifice would allow you to be able to receive the beauty of his his gift of salvation. That you might be set free from your sin. That you might learn to praise him And give yourself to Him. And I wonder how many of us today, sitting here, can actually say, I do want to be separate from the world. I don't want the world to control my mind and my my actions. I don't want to be controlled by a worldly system that's narcissistic and is antagonistic toward my God. I want to stand firm for him. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 4? Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, which he did, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued, past tense, a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, and all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. What a testimony. What a testimony that the people you used to hang around with, the things you used to do with them, you don't do anymore. Why? Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And you gave your life to Christ. And your friends malign you. And why so? Because you went outside the gate. You went outside the city outside the camp. You left the worldly system. You left the legalistic system. You left every human system and went to the living God and gave your life to him. And now your life is filled with sacrifice. Sacrifice of myself and all of my song and all of my substance. It's all about God praising His name, glorifying His name, returning all glory to Him because you're consumed with His glory, not your own. You're consumed with His sacrifice. You're consumed with His finished work on the cross. You're consumed with His honor, not your honor. It will cost you. Maybe not right away. But if you stay true to the Lord and love Him unconditionally, and serve Him with a whole heart and a ready mind. Those who are not into that, oh, they're going to malign you. That will happen. But the good thing is, there's a city. A city in which you're a citizen of. You're not a citizen of America, or California, or Los Angeles. You just live here. You have another citizenship. Your citizenship is in glory. We are citizens of another country. We are truly aliens and strangers in a foreign land. Do you act as if America's a foreign land to you? Do you act as if, if the city you live in is a foreign city? Because you don't speak the language of the people in the city. You don't live the life of the people in the city. You live the life of Christ. And when people see you like they would see anybody from another country in this land of ours, they would see you as completely different. Because the language you speak is not the language they speak. The life you live is not the life they live. Why? Why? Because you are a citizen of the great city of God. You're a child of the living God. Over the years, I told you umpteen times. My parents used to always say to me when I left the house, remember who you are and what you are. You're a child of the king. Live like a child of the king. Dress like a child of the king. Speak like a child of the king. Because the king is watching. I pray that would be us today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all you do. You are the king, the king of glory. I pray for everyone in the room. The pull of the world is great, it's so strong parents trying to raise their children today, realizing that their friends are of the world and they pull their children in different directions. I pray that you give us strength and the grace we need to stand strong on the precepts of your word, to live for you and honor you, to instruct our our children in the ways of God that they might perceive the city of God, Live with the motivation to honor and glorify their God. I pray, Father, for those in the room who are struggling with the things of the world. That, Lord, they would treat them as if they're burned carcasses and want to separate themselves from any kind of reminder of their sin. Separate them. They might live under Christ and your glory. And Lord, we always pray for those in our midst who do not know you. It could be any number of people. We don't know. Only you know that. And we pray, Lord, for them. They realize their need to go outside of the city of the camp of worldliness and embrace Christ as their Savior, their Messiah, their Deliverer, the true God, the true and living God, that they might live for you.